and thank you all for worshiping. Thank you for giving to our church. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 6 once again this morning as we pick up where we left off last week. I told you it was a two, it was a sermon that was just too big to fit into one block. So we're going to we split it in half. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, don't worry. We'll be right called back up in just a minute. Um, but uh, I want to ask you, I want to see if you noticed something that uh, I've noticed a lot about modern technology. Um, modern technology really looking out for us these days. Um, it, it, it's truly, it's true to say that uh, smart technology uh, devices that we use, uh, they're probably smarter than us, or they think they're smarter than us, and sometimes that rubs us the wrong way, because we don't always need things thinking for us, but yet they do. Um, you know, used to, if you fell asleep watching television, whether it was something on tape or disc, um, or even just regular TV, um, you know, you'd wake up, and you'd, it would take a little while to remember where you, where you left off, or what you saw last, and maybe you'd rewatch something, and you're thinking, oh yeah, I remember that, I was kind of halfway asleep and I, I dozed off here, um, but uh, you know, nowadays, practically any television and streaming service or service that tracks, uh, you know, that you're watching, it tracks uh, when you've used the remote lately, whether you've not adjusted the volume or whether you've just, I guess it kind of, I don't know, maybe they're watching us, who knows, but if you, if you watch television, if you stream television especially, um, you'll notice that if you're idle for a little while, if you don't touch the remote, um, after a, a little while, the TV's going to ask you if you're still there, right? If you've had this happen before where it says, hey, are you, are you still watching? You're thinking, yeah, I'm still watching. I'm, I'm literally watching right now. But uh, it'll ask you, the TV or the Netflix or whatever you're watching will say, hey, are you still watching? Um, because it's trying to be courteous and, and, and doesn't want you to get too far behind. Now, most devices from your phone to your computer, uh, all devices have this automatic sleep mode nowadays that kicks in if you haven't touched it for a while. Um, because, you know, they, why would they keep operating in full song if you're not used to it? And you can go into the settings and cut that stuff off. Um, I don't recommend that because I lost a computer doing that one time. Uh, devices nowadays, they, they, they want to take a break. Um, if you're not using them, they'll idle, they'll go black, they'll go, they'll, the, the screen will fade or do some sort of a screensaver, right? It's not always going to have the program that you're using open at all times if you're not actively on the keyboard or on the mouse or touching the screen. Now, you know, um, even more innovative and useful than that even is newer cars, uh, if you buy a car in, in, in today's climate, um, especially one from the last couple of years, uh, newer cars have sensors on every corner and on the sides um, that uh, trigger if you're out of your lane or if you're up too close to a curve, right? And sometimes you're like me and you're in a car and like everything's going off because you're always out of your lane, right? Um, but uh, um, some have automatic emergency stop features on them. So if you're going slow enough, um, you know, they have, they have features that, that will, you know, hit the brakes for you, right? And, and you can turn all that stuff off too, but those things are there because they think that you, you need some help, and, and most of us do. In some cases, these features might seem a little bit much to us. We, you know, we don't always need technology taking our agency away, and, and a lot of us want to go in as soon as we get something and turn all that stuff off. Um, but, but the gist of all these auto pause or auto sleep or slow or stop modes is so that you, the user, we, the user, could optimize and preserve the experience. The, the idea is that when we're not fully engaged or fully aware of something or what's going on, uh, when we're not really hands-on uh, from our televisions to our vehicles, these features are ready to speak for us and help us out. Now, when it comes to your vehicle, it's a safety feature. It's a, it's a safety purpose, right? Nobody, should, nobody gets hurt, so these things are there to kind of help prevent, you know, incidental accidents. But when it comes to streaming services and television and your phone and your computer, all that's just really courtesy. Uh, but it's also a business decision probably because these providers want to know that you're, you're watching things that you want to watch and they don't want you just turning something on and just going on and on because they want to be able to track you know, what are you watching and why are you watching it? And they don't want you to just 
things just to start streaming and, and not stop. So uh, it behooves them to have these check-ins. Um, but on our end, it comes across like, hey, they're trying to make the experience super convenient. So whether it's a safety feature or a, con- or a convenience thing, what's being communicated from devices back to us is you kind of need to be 100% focused and engaged in order to get the most out of this experience. The reason your car beeps and your steering wheel vibrates and your rearview camera is flashing is because, hey, you need to be situationally aware and those things are trying to help you, you know, stay in your lane and, and not do anything dangerous. The reason your television pauses or that your phone shuts off, uh, it, because why would it keep operating if you're asleep or if you're not using? That's just a waste of energy. So while it matters way more in some situations over others, basically everything we use in today's world wants our entire focus to be, uh, to, to, to be, to be locked in uh, and, and wanting to optimize the experience. It's the reason your refrigerator beeps if you leave it open too long. It's the reason why the oven will beep if you've had it turned on and nothing's in it for too long, right? All these things are there saying, hey, if you're going to use me, you need to be focused on me because otherwise you leave me unattended. You're just wasting energy and you're just wasting you know, the, 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 the product. So it wasn't that long ago um, that, you know, if you left something turned on, it would just stay on, right? It would just stay on and the battery would die or it would burn up or it would just break and you'd think, wow, I, I should have paid more attention, right? And, and again, you know, cars uh, 10 years ago or more, right? They had none of those features in them, right? And, and you had nothing helping you out out there. Um, and, and all these things, again, whether it's safety or whether it's convenience, they're just things that are trying to make you aware, trying to make us aware that unless you're locked in, you're probably not getting the most out of it. And, and in, unless you're 100% focus, you probably shouldn't be driving or doing what you were trying to do. So uh, to go in a little bit of a different direction, um, think about how every store, every website you buy from doesn't just want you to buy something from them anymore. They want your email address. They want you to sign up for the rewards program. They want you to pay the monthly fee to get free shipping and to get bonus perks, right? You know, used to, it was just a grocery store that gave you an MVP card or something. Now it's every store, every store that you shop in, whether it's gas stations, whether it's supermarket, any online thing, right? They don't just want your business. They want your entire identity and they want to be locked in to you and you to be locked into them and they want you to constantly being connected to what they're doing, what they're offering, and they want you to get as much as you can out of them. Of course, that's for their profit. So from grocery stores to fast food services, you can't go through a fast food line without being asked if you have the app and if you want to do this and all that. Again, it's all about getting everything out of us that they can. Um, uh, Everything involves rewards and subscriptions, and, and they want us to be not just consumers, but mega consumers. So I think we can acknowledge the, res- the reality that we live in. Any given product or service requires or wants our total attention and wants us to be engaged in the most way possible. Now, in some cases, again, it's safety. In a lot of cases, though, it's marketing. It's just trying to exploit us as much as possible and get as much of us as they can. Regardless, though, from the products we use to the services we rely on to the stores that we shop in, they want 100% of our attention, our focus, our investment, and our engagement. And oh, by the way, it's not just services and stores and products that want 100% of us. Your job wants 100% of you. Your hobby wants 100% of you. Your family and loved ones, they require 100% of you. And we are being pulled in every direction, aren't we? We have what we want on our minds. Then there's things that others want from us. There's things that our jobs require of us. And then there's all these little things that live in our minds that want their cut too. 
nothing and nobody settles for no. Nothing relents. Nothing even a little bit says, well, I don't need 100% of you. I just want some of you. And most material things, most material things, they take and they take and they take. And sometimes they give us back something. But most of the times, what they give back pales in comparison to what they extract. Of course, there are some people in situations that ask way more of us than we could ever give back, that we could ever give to them, and they could never give us back anything that registers in any way possible compared to what we give. We're being hit from every single angle on every single level with all these invitations and requests from asking us to sign up or sign in and clock in, be here at this time, do this in this certain amount of time. We all have so much that's putting us on deadline, there's due dates, there's finish lines, there's things that we want, things that we think we need. Everything is competing for just a small part of us. Again, a part of us that we, we can't always split in all those different ways. On top of that, our much more important personal lives involve so many obligations and commitments and often our minds are so preoccupied with all this other stuff, we rarely put things in the proper order. Why is it Why is it that we overextend ourselves past our limits to the point of getting less out of life than we would like or we would wish? And we'll admit that. Everything wants so much from us, and and the result is what we're left doing and, and, and scrambling and fumbling around. We become so very anxious about doing all that we've got to do in order to optimize and obtain all that we can. That's the result. Everybody in the room, uh, this this, this is something we can relate to. No matter where you are in life, what point of life you're at, we all become so very anxious about doing all that we got to do in order to optimize and obtain all that we possibly can. And this is where Jesus offers some incredible liberating truth, the likes of which we will never hear from anyone or anything else. Jesus says, and again, remember last week, this is not me, this is Jesus, so I think we can trust him. And I think even if it might kind of rub us the wrong way, I think we should admit that Jesus knows best. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Jesus says that our problem is we are all serving and beholden to the wrong master or the wrong masters. The reason why we're so very anxious, that we're so very strung out, that we're so very preoccupied and we can't focus on the things that we should focus on and we're so split all these different ways is we're all serving and beholden to the wrong masters. And the thing that exposes whether we're serving the right master or whether we're serving the wrong master is how anxious we get. How very anxious we are all the time. Matthew 6, 25 through 34 is a scripture we read last week. We're going to read it again this week because it's that important to hear hear again, I think. Um, This is Jesus exposing the thing in us that loses the plot and in turn uh, causes us to get so very anxious. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, uh, they grow neither toiling or spinning, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles or the pagans, the non-believers seek after. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. We're all aware of how much our attention and our energy and dedication, uh, how much life wants of our attention, our energy, our dedication. The more we serve all those things, the more anxious we are bound to become. And and, and notice when Jesus is saying these things, you know, why would you worry about food and clothing and and what you're going to do tomorrow? Of course, those things are legitimate concerns. And, And the people hearing Jesus say that, they know they're more valuable than the birds. They know that God cares for them more than he cares for the flowers. And they see what he does for the flowers and the birds. What he's, what he's, saying to them isn't new it's not revolutionary it's not it's not mind-blowing but it exposes that thing in us that just makes excuse after excuse after excuse we know that we're digging ourselves into the ground yet we feel as if or we act as if we can't make any better decisions so Jesus says we've got to make a conscious choice to survey all that we are committed to all that we're obliged to all that we're dedicated to and ask a few questions he's not saying to you hey shame on you for doing that he's saying i just want you to consider the life that you're living the masters you're serving are you happy with where that's taking you are you happy with the condition that it's left you in so he asked a couple questions Are these things that we serve and are so anxious about, are they capable of being our master? Are they capable, as in, not that they can be, of course anything can be, you can make anything your master, you can serve anything. Anything can lord over us and take over our lives. But the question is, are they capable of leading you and are they worthy of the kind of devotion that you are devoting to them and dedicating to them? Are they actually able to better your lives? Or are they just making our lives more entangled? Are they just making our lives more complicated? He's not saying, and I'm not saying there's an easy way out of this, that it's a cut and dry conversation you can have. It's not easy to get the hooks of the world out of you. And most of us only ever got in the situation we're in because we felt like we had no choice. Jesus is simply shining a light into our lives and forcing us to reconcile with the reality that we find ourselves in and asking us, are you happy with where you're at and how you are forced to live? Are the things you've committed to serving and investing and actually benefiting us or are they actually benefiting us or are they just making us more anxious and more distraught? And I think that's the question. That's, that's what reveals it. And you might not like the answer that it reveals to you. You may not want to admit that the answer is what it is, but the reality of it is, if the life that you're living is making you more and more and more and more anxious and the things that you're devoted to and the things that you're dedicated to and all that it ever does is make you more anxious and more strung out and more overwhelmed, then the problem, the problem is there's, some, there's the wrong master at the top of your list. There's the wrong masters at the top of your list. As difficult as it is to admit and as hard as it is to imagine untangling from all the things that we've, we've got ourselves involved in, Jesus implores us to make a difficult, uncomfortable decision now and not prolong our only pathway to solace and peace and wholeness. 
You know, some company can try to convince you that unless you give them $5 a month and unless you buy this and that, then you might not be happy. You may feel like you're missing out if you don't experience this and consume that and watch that and attend those things. You may be wired to judge yourself based on milestones and, and professional things that you've accomplished or personal things that you've, you've been able to do. You may look at your family and compare your family and your circumstances to everybody else around you and you feel like you've got to do more or less. But ultimately... Those things that we put at the top of our list, those things that we let drive us and, and, and stir us up and, and, and cause us to be so focused on all these different worldly things, those things, the reality of it is, just as Jesus said, none of these things can really add to our lives where it counts. When we get so worked up, up, up about all these things that we do, the reality of it is, regardless of how important it may seem to us and feel to us, when you back up 100,000 feet or 30,000 feet up into the sky and you look down, those things that we're giving so much to, they cannot add to our lives where it counts. And in reality, they're only taking away from our life. They're making us less than we could be. No person, no thing can add to us where it counts. According to Jesus, and I think if we all listen to our souls deep down, we agree, the only pathway, the only path to our own personal wholeness, our own spiritual wellness, is wholehearted devotion to God. And that's why Jesus says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To seek, seek after God in his fullness, and then all these things will be added to you. Now, what, what does he mean, all these things? He's not saying that if, you, if, that if you put God first, you'll never have a bad day, you'll never struggle, you'll never have a need that, that you feel like isn't met. He's saying that if we put God first, the anxiousness that we're giving over to will fade away and we will be able to obtain a wholeness that we're chasing after, that fullness, that completeness that we want so badly. He gives us an ultimatum here that we cannot serve God in some lesser master or some lesser masters. He makes it clear, the only one who deserves 100% from us is God. But don't we get so backwards? Don't we get this so backwards? I mean, can we just be honest? We give God 10% or less. I'm not just talking about your money. We give God a, 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 a crumbs. We give God the leftovers of our lives right? We pray at the end of the day. We pray when we're sitting down at a table. We, we, we give God such little amount of our time. And, and again, I, I don't blame you. I know life's busy. I mean, you give, you know, we give 30% for that, 50% to that. Some days we have to you know, improvise and give 20% here and take it away from there. But we, at the end of the day, all of us can admit we give God such a small percentage of our life. And we wonder why things are so lopsided. We wonder why we're so anxious all the time. I think we're all used to hearing that God should be first in our lives and we kind of roll our eyes because, of, yeah, I know, God should be first, yeah, yeah. But we live in a world that there's so much competing for first place. But Matthew 6, is a promise that we should meditate on and frequently consider. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things that you deep down want, security and peace and joy, they will be added to you, not through material things, but through intangible, spiritual means. So here's the reality that Jesus puts in front of us. God wants our whole hearts. Why does he want your whole heart? Why does he not just want part of you? He wants your whole heart because God wants your heart to be whole. 
that make sense? God does not just want you to give him everything so he can say, check, they're doing what they should do. God sees that you are wanting to be fulfilled. He sees that you're longing for more. He knows you want to be complete and to be whole. And the only way you get that is giving your heart to God. This world cannot sustain you and it definitely cannot fill you. The reason why Jesus is saying that we should reprioritize and rearrange and reallocate and refocus in order to position God at the top and make our relationship with him our greatest priority. The reason why he's saying this is because this is our only avenue to a whole heart. It's the only pathway for a heart to be whole and well and full and at peace. God can and will unleash his presence on our lives if we first untangle ourselves from what is holding us back. If the world's getting the best of us, the most of us, and our faith in God's kingdom is an afterthought, there's no chance our hearts are going to be full. And there's no chance they're going to be well. So much of this world gets the best of us before we even consider what God wants to do and can do through our lives. If we can't untangle from all the wrong things, the less important things, There's no chance that God can unleash his fullness on our lives. The reality of it is, of all of our lives, we've all got so much going on. If we wait until we have untangled every knot, we'll never start growing in our faith. So maybe you hear this and you think, well, Justin, I've got a whole lot of stuff tangled up in my life. That if I try to untangle all these knots, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here a long time. And I, I hear you. We're all a work in progress. We're always going to be discovering things that need to be uh, done a different way that we need to do more of or less of. And it, can't be, and it can be a bit overwhelming to think that God can't do anything in our lives until everything is ironed out and smoothed out and our priorities are all in the right order. So thankfully, that's not what Jesus is saying to you. That if you're sitting here today and you've got so much that you know should be reprioritized and rearranged and you've got so many things that are the result of you putting the wrong thing first and the wrong people first and the wrong dreams first, if you're sitting here today and you have a box of tangled wet knots in front of you and you're thinking, I, have no, I don't even know where to start. The good news is God is not saying come back when you get them all ironed out. Thankfully, Jesus says, I'll meet you right there in the mess. We've all found ourselves there, right? Maybe recently with Christmas lights, you look at them and you think, man, these are, these are no way they're going to be straightened out. As we, work to one, as we work out one night at a time, while we all sort through this, Jesus invites us to follow him just as we are, priorities jacked and out of place as they may be. Jesus says to you and he says to me, I want you to follow me. Baby steps, crawl, whatever you got to do, follow me. Start to aim your life towards me. He invites us to begin putting our relationship with him first, seeking ways to honor him so that our motivation to, uh, to, to untangle from all the wrong things continues to build up. And here's what will happen. As we submit ourselves to his authority and to his will, the more compelled we will become to make ourselves available and agile as in ready to obey him. As you begin submitting yourself to his authority, to his will in any, any area of your life, in every area of your life, as you begin dedicating that part of you to God more and more focused on him, the more compelled you'll be to be ready to make yourself available and agile, maneuverable for him. The reason why we are often so stubborn and so immovable, the reason why we don't even consider serving God when the Spirit moves our way is because we are so entrenched in doing things our way, we haven't even considered a different option. 
The example of this in the Gospels is really one of the biggest reasons you can trust the Gospel. Now, we're reading from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew being the writer, uh, Matthew being someone who is a living example of how God meets us in our mess and works out and works us out of the messes one step at a time. Matthew knew a thing or two about seeking the wrong things, misplacing and misappropriating his priorities. He is exhibit A of how God invites us to follow him while we sort through all the mess. So turn over a page or two to Matthew 9. Matthew includes his own personal calling into the gospel that he's writing here because his story is such an instrumental part of the gospel and it's such a picture of what God can do in our lives. Matthew writes about his own calling in Matthew 9, verse number 9 through 13. And and listen to these awesome, awesome, encouraging, life-changing verses. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. Now whose house is that? That's Matthew's house. That behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, because some of his disciples were not in the house. We'll talk about that. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, because he can hear you far away, when he heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So I want to talk about Matthew for a minute. Matthew here is a complicated case, as complicated a case as it gets. Matthew was a Jewish turncoat. That that means Matthew was a Jewish citizen that sold out to Rome. Matthew's Jewish name was Levi, Levi. He was of the tribe of Levi. Yet Matthew, whether he took a new name or got a new name or whatever, he was ashamed of his former, he he was excommunicated from the Jewish faith because he became a part of the Roman system. He became an agent of Rome where he would rip off the Jewish people for a living. As a tax gatherer, he would uh, be uh, the arm of Rome to enforce Rome's oppressive taxes. And because he sold out to Rome, he could put whatever surcharge on top of those taxes that he wanted. And he, he was able to get filthy rich off the back of his own people. So for a Jewish person to become a Roman tax collector, it was the most heinous, egregious thing you could do in those days, which is why in the Bible you read about sinners and tax collectors because they had a whole category for people who were worse than sinners, tax collectors. Because Matthew literally sold his soul chasing his own dreams. Now Matthew, as part of this Roman world and as a part of this uh, uh, part of this profession he would have uh, been able to live a pretty lavish lifestyle he was included in all the roman elite circles he was socializing rubbing elbows with the fast and the famous he lived in an elaborate place he probably lived in the very wealthy part of town he always hosted parties he lived a luxurious expensive excessive life He accomplished all this. He achieved all this by looking out for himself. He had no time for anything other than chasing his dream. And he was willing to burn every bridge with his family, with his heritage, which is with his religion that he had to, to get there. And he got there. It isolated him from his family and his faith. It brought many, many friends his way. It afforded him opportunities and privileges. No doubt, he initially made the choice to go down this road because he was anxious for this life. He was caught up in adding to his stature and his wealth and advancing in every category. 
He became so caught up in his profession. He committed and invested. Uh, he was so committed legally and financially and socially and relationally. Nobody was more entangled in all the wrong ways than Matthew. Matthew was as, was as corrupt and was as, had his hands more dirty than any possible person in his day. There was nobody more impossibly tangled up in this world than Matthew. And one day, he hears the doorbell at his office make the noise and in walks the Jewish carpenter, the rabbi from Nazareth. And Jesus sits down in front of him and Matthew said, I'll be with you in a minute. And Matthew's sitting there adding 10% to this tax bill, adding 10% to that fee, adding 20% to that fee. And he pushes his papers away and he's mailing out all these bills to all these people. And he's making bank off these people. He's ripping them off and he's glad he's doing it. And Jesus sits down, he look, Matthew looks up at him and suddenly he realizes this is not who he expected to see in his building. And Jesus looks at Matthew and he says, Matthew, I want you on my team. Matthew thinks, you want me? Jesus, I know who you are. I know the kind of life you live. We are not the same person. I am greedy. I am selfish. I am all about me. I don't have time for nobody else. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me. And deep down inside, Matthew knew. Matthew had heard the sermons. He had heard about Jesus. He knew about Jesus. Deep down, Matthew knew, this is my chance. I've been trying to be made whole through this world. I am as empty as I could ever be. I'm rich. I have all kind of friends. I live in the nicest home. I have everything that I could ever imagine needing. But deep down, I am empty. And this man knows that. He's asking me to join his team. But for me to join his team, it's going to cost me everything. And I don't even know if I can begin to sort through it all. But notice that Jesus doesn't say to Matthew, 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 I need you to fix it all right now. If you're gonna, he didn't walk in the building and say, Matthew, it's now or never, get all, get rid of all that stuff and follow me or else. He just says, hey, I want you to follow me. Now we're not privy to the whole conversation, but that's kind of what we get from the scriptures, right? How do Matthew's thinking, how do I even begin? Where do I even begin? We don't know what all they said to each other, but we know what happens right after this. What happens? Jesus says, follow me. And where do they go right afterwards? They go to Matthew's house. So that tells me that Matthew had a little conversation with Jesus. We can only speculate. Matthew must have explained to Jesus, Jesus, I've got a lot of things that I got to sort out. I, I, I got people at my house right now and they've been, they've been partying, they've been drinking, they've been, they've been there, they've been waiting on me to get home. They are in my house and when I get home, I don't know what I'm gonna walk into. Jesus, you, you, do, you know what, you, do you know what you're dealing with? And Jesus says, yeah, I know what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with the most complicated case I could ever get my hands on and I am here just for that. Jesus is willing to wade through whatever he has to in order to get us where we need to be. That's what you need to hear today. As complicated as you may be, as difficult as it may be to ever imagine your life getting straightened out as it needs to be, Jesus says, I am here and I'm going to go with you where you're going. Hey, I'm going to work this out. We're going to work this out. Now, maybe Matthew told him, I got a big party plan. All these people are in my house. They're waiting on me to get home. Who knows? Right? We, we don't know, but here's what we do know. 
that Jesus asked Matthew to join his team, and he's so interested and so committed to equipping and empowering Matthew that he follows him. What was the invitation? Follow me. But what does Jesus do right after that? He follows him to his home full of sinners like Matthew. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus was not endorsing sin. He was not enabling sin, which is what many accuse Jesus of doing. In fact, some of his disciples did not go to this party. And we know that one of them had to be the apostle Peter because Peter in Acts says, I've never been in the home of an unclean person. I've never been in the home of a person who was unclean according to Jewish law. He was that focused on doing the Jewish, the Jewish religious thing. Matthew was as unclean as they come. So Peter doesn't go to the party. Meanwhile, Jesus is with Matthew, Peter, and a few others. They're hanging out with the Pharisees thinking, what is Jesus doing? And Jesus can hear, whether they're down the street or across the town, I don't know. And he says to them in verse 12, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus wasn't endorsing or enabling sin. He was rescuing sinners. He was tending and offering healing to the sick. Now, you've, this is where we get the, the, the label, the great physician. This is where that comes from. You're not going to get free from all the things you're entangled in with just a, without a visit with the great physician. And, and come on, it's going to require multiple daily, as many times as necessary visits with the great physician. You're never a bother to him. This is what his heart beats for. Sinners like us, that we might be restored and that we might be healed in our hearts. Jesus called on Matthew to follow him, but we see that Jesus was just as committed to pursuing Matthew. Do you see that? Jesus says, Matthew, I want you to follow me, but what did Jesus do right after that? He pursued him and made it clear, Matthew, I am dedicated to getting you some help and to helping your heart and to healing your heart and to freeing you from all these things. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So who's following who? Yes, we're called to follow God, but we have the confidence that God is pursuing us. It's, the, it's, it's in this passage we see that Jesus was promising to abide with sinners like Matthew, sinners like us to nurture and heal and restore. So when Jesus calls on us to seek first the kingdom, as impossible as it may seem, as daunting a task as it may seem, feel like, just know Jesus wants to make your heart whole so badly that he's here to help you. He's here to help you realize it. Unfortunately, we don't get every little detail and milestone of Matthew's journey. We don't know how long it took for him to get everything in place as it needed to be. We don't know what every step looked like. We, we do know that eventually, across the span of three years, Matthew became one of the 12 most important people in the early church. Matthew was one that Jesus called his own apostle. He was the one that Jesus sent to the nations as one of his chief representatives. So here's what we can conclude. 
Matthew began putting his relationship with Jesus first, with every aspect and in every avenue of his life. He had tons of treasure already stored away in this life. He began leveraging it for the kingdom of God. Matthew began giving his life away one piece at a time, a handful at a time. He began to put Jesus and others first and put himself down the list. But you know what the most important part of his transformation was? You know what made Matthew the apostle? You know what made Matthew one of the 12? You know what Matthew did for three years of his life? Uh, the, the only the three years that, that Jesus had left. You know what Matthew did? Matthew spent time with Jesus every single day. Matthew was with the great physician and the great physician was with Matthew. Notice that nobody in that scripture, when, when Jesus calls these people sick, nobody says, well, I take offense to that. They knew they were sick. They knew they were not well. They knew they were not whole. They, had, they, they finally, Matthew at least, finally quit lying to himself and to other people that he had made it in life when he knew that he hadn't. Jesus makes a promise to all of us. He came for sinners. He came for the entangled. He came to the complicated, the messy, the overextended, the strung out, and the stressed out. And he is willing to do whatever it takes to go through whatever it takes to untangle you so that he might unleash the fullness of God over your life. How determined is he? What did he do at the end of his life? What ended his life? He emptied himself of life that you might be filled with his life. He died to set us free from sin's curse and chokehold. You know, anytime, anytime Jesus ever healed anybody of medical problems, did you know that the term, the word he used to make someone well, the word was not a medical term? You can read it down in verse 22 of chapter 9 when he heals the woman who had the blood issue, probably something like cancer. It says that he... Uh, told the woman when she put her faith in him, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. That word is not a medical term. It's, it's, it's speaking of the heart, that your faith has saved you, that the healing that we need is much more, it goes much deeper than physical needs, right? That the word made well literally means to be restored, to be made whole, to be saved. You, you see, Jesus demonstrated his power over physical disease to show that he had the power to help us with what's untangible. He had the power to untangle us from this world. He came to restore us, to heal us, so that we might receive the fullness of God and be made whole through him. And that's why he gave his life up in the most brutal way. Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. So we know, we know that Jesus offers us a healing. He offers us restoration. And he's willing to work it out. He's willing to work with us and stay around and go through whatever he's got to. And here's where, here's where we land. Having established just how committed Jesus is to making us whole, how committed are we? How committed are you to taking hold of and to making the most of what he's provided? If we're serious about this, about seeking first and keeping first what matters most, we're going to have to spend a lot of time with him. And it's not just one visit, an annual checkup. It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship. As with any doctor, Jesus would tell us that we've got to establish healthy habits to translate his word over us into a lifestyle. Instead of seeking after what's temporary, we have to focus on what's eternal. Instead of being selfish, we become selfless. Instead of being shallow, we go deep. Instead of looking at what's narrow, 
narrow we look at what the wider picture of what God is doing is all about. There's a story later on in Matthew where Jesus feeds the 5,000. You know it very well. And they're all sitting around thinking, well, how are we going to feed all these people? And then Jesus says, well, don't send them away. You give them something. And they're thinking, we don't have anything. I don't have anything to give these people. I just got my own lunch. I don't have lunch for them. And then somebody comes up with a basket of lunch with a couple loaves of bread and a couple of fish in it and they give it to Jesus and Jesus takes it and makes it feed everybody. But Jesus didn't say, oh yeah, send them away. Nothing we can do about it. He says, hey, you give them something. You know the simplest way for you to begin seeking God and putting his kingdom first? It's you realizing that whatever's in your hands is meant for him and can make much greater difference dedicated to him than anything else you could ever put it to. You want to see your life transform and you, you, you want to know what tra- made Matthew's life change? You want to know why many people's lives were changed by Jesus, how anybody's life is changed by Jesus? You realize and you surrender all that we are into his hands and you know that he will take it and he will multiply it and he will maximize it. You realize that what you've got in your hands, what you've got in your life is not meant for you just to use and, 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 and live the day and be gone tomorrow. That what you've been given and the life that you've been given is meant for him and can be made much more useful in his hands. When we entangle ourselves and lay everything out from our personal hopes and dreams to our relationships, to our professions, to our possessions, when we set it all in front of us one piece at a time, start pushing it forward towards the kingdom of God and for his glory, suddenly he will show you what to do. When we start considering eternity, when we start operating selflessly, when we begin looking at the bigger, broader, wider scope of life, it will all start to click. The great physician can heal any of us, free any of us, restore any of us to a life that we've always been capable of, but we've got to take his word over us seriously. So consider your life. What's in your heart? What's on your mind? What's in your hands? What, what is all that you think? What, what are you th- so focused on day after day? What dreams are you chasing? What possessions are you mising? What thing in your heart is what drives you and makes you passionate? If you cling to all that, if you double down on doing life your way and making it all according to your agenda, what will those things add up to? Jesus says, bring it to me. I don't care how complicated you are. Bring it to me. You want to put me first? You want to see me make a difference in your life? Bring it to me. You want want to honor God with your life? You want your heart to be whole? Bring your heart to him. Bring what's in your heart, on your mind, in your hands. Show him what you've been focusing on. He knows already. Surrender to him. And he promises to unleash his fullness and pour out his presence on your life. In closing, there's a prayer I'd like us all to pray. You can find a similar version of this prayer in Ephesians chapter three, but I kind of broke it down and made it where I think we can all say it together. This is a prayer that you and I can pray as many times as we want to, but it's a prayer where if we're sincere and we come to God and say, God, I've got a lot of things that are tangled up in my life. A lot of things are not as they should be. A lot of things that are not first. You are not first where you should be. I've put them, I've, I've put things in the wrong priority. I've done all these things in the wrong order and I'm kind of in a mess. And I don't know how to get out of this mess. This is a prayer that hopefully you can take with you with God's word 
with the example of people like Matthew and with the promise that Jesus has said to you, I am gonna be with you. I'm the great physician. I'm not gonna abandon you. I'm not gonna cut you loose. I'm not gonna say I can't help you. I'm gonna be with you every step of the way, but you've gotta be with me too. You've gotta depend on me. You've gotta make a decision to surrender to me. So I'm gonna read a line of the prayer and I'd like you to repeat that line after me as we wrap up. Lord, our hearts need more of you and less of this world. You poured out your life so that we could, so that we could be filled with abundant life. I think there's more people here than are talking, so let's, a little bit louder. Untangle us, heal us, restore us, and unleash your fullness on our lives. Take whatever is on our minds, in our hearts, and in our hands, and make it count for you. Let me just be clear. That's not a one-time prayer. Matthew did not just pray one time and get up and never have to deal with anything again. Matthew was a complicated case. And you know what I think, most of us? Most of us are complicated cases. And aren't you glad that Jesus' promise to you and promise to me isn't, hey, you either get it or you don't. His promise to me and the promise to you is that I am gonna pursue you all the days of your life and when, you, when something stands up in you and says, I can't do this, I can't, I, 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 I'm tired, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. When something says, I can't, Jesus says, I can, I can. And if I can, with my help, you can. Amen. So I don't know what's in your heart today. I don't know what's on your mind. I don't know what's in your hands. But if you haven't brought those things to God, and you're not seeking God first with those things, would you consider doing that today? Because God wants your whole heart. He wants all of it. Because he wants you to be whole, to be well, to be full. He's always gonna be on your side. No matter how hard it gets, he will not abandon you. He loves you. And he wants to pour his power out in your life if we'll just come and surrender to him. We pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the promise of Jesus, the presence of Jesus that says, I didn't come for the perfect. I didn't come for the squeaky clean. I didn't come for the ones that had it all straightened out. I didn't come for the ones that had, were the perfect husbands and the perfect wives and the perfect families. I didn't come for the one that has everything sorted out as they should. I came for the messy and the complicated and the sinners. I came for the tax collectors who had an entire profession dedicated to doing life the wrong way. Lord, thank you that you promise us that you are in the mire with us. You are in the mess with us and you are gonna raise us out of it. Lord, when we, when we hear you say, seek first the kingdom, it, can, it comes across overwhelming because we don't even know where to start. Well, it starts with what's in our hearts and what's on our minds and what's in our hands. And it starts with bringing that to you and saying, God, this is for you. 
I don't know if this is wrong. I don't know if it's right. I don't know what, if it should be there or if it shouldn't be there. But here's what is there. Here's what I am and here's what I've done and here's who I am, I'm being right now. I'm bringing it to you. Lord, tell me if it needs to go. Tell me if it needs to stay. Tell me where it needs to be in my life. I just want you to be Lord over it all. I surrender to you. I'm gonna follow you with my life. And you promise to be with us always. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.